increasing regulation, market saturation, and rising interest rates. Still think short-term rentals make sense? You're not alone. Join industry experts Bill Faith and Kenny Bedwell as they discuss how you can invest while still staying ahead of the curve, identifying trends before they happen, or blowing them away outright with their insights. This is STRonomics. Are you looking to invest in short-term rentals in North Carolina or South Carolina? There's a lot of great markets there, but even more important, the markets are that you find the right agent. And that's where my man, Tyler Kuhn, comes into place. I personally used him for three purchases totaling over $3.5 million, and I would not look to anybody else. Just jump down into the show notes right here below the podcast, click on the link, and book a free discovery call with Tyler to explore the opportunities in both North Carolina and South Carolina today. Everybody, this is Bill and Kenny. Welcome back to STRonomics. Really cool topic today as we're all looking into 2023. Kenny, the last episode, we just talked about budgeting for 2023. The episode before that, if you're brand new uh, listener, Kenny really dropped some bombs on amenities and value and what we should be looking at moves the needle in a specific market. A lot of great stuff happening here on STRonomics. Thank you to Tyler Kuhn for making all this happen. If you need to a place in Western North Carolina and even over into Myrtle Beach and on the coast, Tyler Kuhn from Savvy Realty is your guy. Kenny, let's jump right in. Where? I got a few bucks. Prices are coming down. I'm looking to invest in 2023. Should be looking at national parks, urban markets, lakes, northwest part of the country, you know, southeast. What am I? I'm Gatlinburg. What am I looking at? Where should I be considering, you know, investing into in 2023? Has that changed? from 2021 and 2022 during COVID. Yeah, so I'm That's like- straight. I'm just gonna throw one thing out there for you. Logan, yeah. Ohio. Yeah, Logan, Ohio, there we go. So, you know, I'm always telling people it depends on their circumstances and it really does. But high level though, we do need to be looking for markets that have some sort of, um, for for security in, in 2023. We need When I say security, I mean, they are historically established markets. Now, a lot of people say, okay, well, you're talking about traditional vacation rental markets. And that is true, but that's part true in the sense that there are other markets that aren't considered traditional vacation rental markets that have historic established. Uh, can I put you on the spot? Sure. I'm just going to give you a market. Broken Bow, Oklahoma. Gosh, I already, I can already see the emails being sent to me after this. No, I mean so like <laughs> so like I, I mean I no, it's not, it's not, it's not. What about your favorite market, the North Georgia Mountains? No, it's not established either. And, so when you're, you're you're talking Dustin, Gulf Shores, Gatlinburg, the traditional. Well, okay, so let's let's talk about what that means because recently I've had the opportunity to sit down with some realtors across the country and talk about what makes their market special. And one area that just kind of, and I mean, I'm in it, is the Northeast. And let me, I'm not telling people to go invest in the Northeast and this is the answer, but I, I want to I open up our minds a little bit about what a traditional vacation rental market means. So, Bill, do you know where the first U.S., official U.S. vacation rental market is? First ever. Take a guess. Hudson Valley. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 have, I have no uh, idea. I'm not old enough. Technically, I mean, you can look this up, anybody, but okay. technically it's Freeport, Maine. This were like L.L. Bean. It, they were founded or whatever. And it was like people started vacationing there in- uh, And you had 13 colonies? 
Yes, the 1700s. Yeah, I mean, the Northeast, you know, Cape Cod, uh, Massachusetts coast, all those areas have been tra truly traditional vacation rental markets, established vacation rental markets that hold their value. So for me, when we say traditional vacation rental markets, I'm thinking more of markets that hold their value over time. They've been proven, tried and proven throughout decades, not, you know, the last five years. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yes, Destin and Gulf Shores and, and even Gatlinburg to some extent, I mean, with the national park there, it has been a traditional vacation rental market, not 1700s traditional. Let's, let's keep that in mind. But there are markets that have been tried and true that we're just not considering traditional vacation rental markets on social media or talking about. But they're out there and the Northeast has a lot of them. Parts of the Midwest have them too. Obviously, the South has them and then the West Coast as well. So there are markets across the U.S. that fit that criteria. But the big thing for me in 2023 is looking in markets that can hold their value during recessions, that aren't going to take this huge dip in demand and traffic in revenue as much as some of these other markets. I think everybody's going to take a dip in revenue. We talked about that in the last episode, but... I'm going to be able to invest in this market and know that there's a floor and it's still going to cover all my expenses for my property. So when you say hold your value, you're talking rental value. You're not talking about home value, correct? Well, part of it too is home value. Yeah. It's okay. rental and home value. Gotcha. Yeah. So you're talking, you know, Cape Cod, Martha's Vineyard, Kenny Bunk, Port, Maine, just these old school places. Well, those were part of it. I'm not right. saying that those are the markets I'm talking about because I... I do agree. The Gatlinburgs, the, the Gold Shores, the, the Destins, Orlando, Florida, really. I mean, Myrtle Beach. Those are traditional vacation rental markets. And yes, they can take dips in value, but it will stabilize. It won't be as much as some of these other markets. I just It's just kind of... Right. Uh, so, I mean, you mentioned Myrtle Beach the week before Thanksgiving. You said that North Myrtle Beach is like one of the best markets to invest into at that time. Careful yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me, yeah. It's a good market to invest in for beach markets. Yeah, it's it's some of the better ones. But yes, and it holds its value too. So people will always go there. Like they'll always travel to Myrtle Beach. It's it's on. It's the thing. Like there there. Yes, there could be less people. You know, year over year, but people will still travel there. And that there will simply be less people in 2023 than 2022. The other thing that's interesting about Myrtle Beach versus Destin versus uh, the Gulf Coast is it's like Gulf Shores and Destin, it's beach. I get there's a level of entertainment that's there with the go-karts and the mini golf. And I don't think parents pick to go to those markets because of those things. Those are there because of the volume of traffic that goes there, right? Yes. But the one thing that Myrtle Beach has that those markets don't are, you know, over a hundred golf courses of all price points, right? So, you know, I kind of look at that as an additional traffic driver into that market. And even to this day, the prices are lower. The barrier to entry is lower there than it is in Gulf Shores, probably by 10 to 20%, which means it's 30, 40%, 50% less, you know, than Destin and Miramar in the 30A market. So it does present some opportunities, especially on a cash basis. There's no question. So what about national parks, Kenny? What do you think about uh, national parks? Solid. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's all we get. Solid. If my, if. If you're looking out west, you should invest in a in a market that has a national park nearby. I mean, especially California, Montana, you know, uh, Utah. Glacier, Glacier, I'll be there Monday. 
Actually, by the time somebody sees this, I'll either be under contract or not under contract. One of the two. How big of a deal, and I don't want to put you too much on the spot, but I do like putting you on the spot. How big of a deal is the proximity to the national park? Have you seen, is there in the data, like you got to be within 30 minutes? Like you have to be Island Park, like 30 minutes from West Yellowstone, or can you be an hour away? Can you be 90 minutes away? And I know the proximity is huge. So the farther away we get, but is there like a threshold for that? Um, Without like kind of, you know, punting the ball here and saying it depends on the the national park. You sound like a lawyer and a CPA now. It depends. (laughs) Yeah, it depends. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, yeah, I would probably say like within 30 minutes is, is a big, big differentiator. Even the quality of property. I've seen properties that are like average looking, you know, doing really well because they're so close, you know, to the national park compared to properties that are much nicer that are, that are like, you know, 20 minutes further away than that one property. So proximity is a huge factor in when it comes to national parks and proximity of good quality roads because <laughs> that's actually a, a common right. uh, issue in uh certain for certain national parks like uh the the roads you know and especially the further north you go and mountain markets right yep absolutely i mean i, I i'm a believer that proximity trumps views that's clear in, in many cases proximity is the most important thing proximity yep. to the beach proximity to the ski resort to the national park the downtown I think that's, to me, it's the most important factor that I'm looking to invest into. So one of the things I love about national parks is their data on the number of visitors and typically by entrance, at least the big ones for like a glacier and a Yellowstone and Sierra Nevadas and stuff like that, you know, they have that data by entrances into the park as well. So when we say national park, I'll just use Yellowstone as an example. There's no chance I would invest close to the east entrance on the Cody, Wyoming side for an SDR. But yeah. I would, because the, the traffic del- delineation is like four times, five times less than what comes in the west entrance. And a lot of people think that the south entrance, because the gateway to that is Jackson and the Grand mm-hmm. Tetons would be the busiest entrance. It's not. It's the west entrance by almost two and a half times, you know. So and that's one of the reasons why Island Park, which is about 30, 25, 20 to 30 minutes from West Yellowstone, which is the town going into that West entrance has become, you know, a, a great spot for people to invest into. But the interesting thing for me, Kenny, is I've, ne- you and I have talked at least weekly and probably an average of three to five times a week over the last year, year and a half. And we never really have seen Island Park, you know, is a top place to invest. It's never shown up in like a top 10 list or anything like that. You know what I mean? And But yet the amount of volume going into Yellowstone is huge. I don't have the numbers in front of me. I think it was like 12, 13, 14 million people a year. It might be more than that. And I just wonder if that proximity is not close enough. You know, if people are going to Island Park for other things more than going to the park. And I think those are things that we have to vet out in those locations. Would you agree? Yes. And and I mean, frankly, you know, Yellowstone is such a, a seasonal market or, or park you know, it's June to September, October. You know? Unless you're crazy like me, because I'm going snowmobiling through that damn thing in, in January. Right. Well, you're going, you're coming. Yeah, you're coming from the Montana side too. But with that in mind, I mean, there has to be other reasons. I mean, Island Park has snowmobiling, I think some skiing, a lot of other things that go on in the wintertime that are attractive for people. So 
I think that yes, the, the the park obviously is a major attraction during the summer, but then in the winter time you have all the other winter sports that people can do. So I think that's one of the reasons a lot of people in the West Coast were attracted to Joshua Tree, right? Because it's yes. the weather's year year round there. However, I I do want to so the reason why I'm not super in love with Island Park though is and this is another attribute of what I call traditional markets. Island Park could be considered traditional. I mean, uh, my like father-in-law he he went there as a kid, you know, from Utah, but there are no major cities within like I, I I mean, okay. I guess you could say Salt Lake and and Boise are with Salt Lake City's four or four and a half hours away. That's a long Maybe drive. Maybe five. Yeah, but I yeah. So like you could say like and, and that's that's on that's where my father in law Kate was coming from, Salt Lake City, but it's it's a city and yeah, you have a lot of Utah up in that area too. A lot of people in northern Utah that are driving distance, but there aren't that many like major metropolitan areas that service Island Park Agreed. compared to say a Joshua tree. And I think that's something important too. And, you know, going back to, and I, and I, I hate to like, you know, I'm not trying to hop on the, the Northeast bandwagon here, but the, the Cape, like Cape Cod area, even where I'm at in Watkins Glen, I mean, I'm three and a half hours from New York city. I'm four hours from Boston. Cape Cod is like 30 minutes, like, you know, two hours, two and a half hours from, from New York. Like, there, there's so many people in that area that are just driving distance. They got to get away from the city. It's super easy to go into. So, and it's a traditional market, meaning it's been around, it's established, it's hold its value. So that, those are the kind of like, those are the things I'm really looking for to get some of that kind of hedge my risk. You know, like there, there are always people traveling there, even if not as many travel year over year. Uh, and I just, Island Park, going back to Island Park, like, Island Park could see a massive dip. You know, the floor is a lot lower than what the ceiling could be. So, and that's what worries me for finding markets and or looking into markets in 2023. Are you looking to purchase an STR in the Western North Carolina mountains, the high country, maybe even on, on the beach of North Carolina and the OBX or all the way down into Hilton Head, South Carolina? My man, Tyler Kuhn from Savvy Realty has you covered. And one of the things that I love about Tyler is he specializes in short-term rentals. He takes a no BS approach, is honest, and is filled with integrity. How do I know this? Because I've used Tyler on three transactions totaling almost three and a half million dollars. And he has absolutely crushed it for me. Look, if you're not sure where you should invest, he's based out of Asheville, North Carolina. He helped me invest in Banner Elk. North Carolina and Beach Mountain, North Carolina. He's not only just a real estate agent that specializes in short-term rentals, Tyler is also an owner of short-term rentals and owns a management company. So one of the biggest hurdles for us mentally is to get over, how do I find cleaners? How do I find handymen? How do I find a plumber? Well, you know what, Tyler's dialed in and he helps his clients navigate those issues. So if you're looking to invest pretty much anywhere in the Carolinas, Tyler Kuhn from Savvy Realty is your man. And right now he's actually doing a free discovery call. You can click down on the link in the notes and set up your free discovery call with Tyler today. I mean, if you look at Gatlinburg as the Smokies, as an example, you've got Nashville, you've got Atlanta, you've got Charlotte, you've got Knoxville, you've got Raleigh-Durham. You know, basically 
Cincinnati, Cleveland, they're all within six hours. Washington, D.C., we can get there or to Western North Carolina, you know, Beach Mountain, yeah. all within a six hours. It's a one-day drive. And it's one of the reasons that I love Gulf Shores is because of the fact that people drive down to the Gulf from Chicago, Milwaukee, yeah. St. Louis, you know, all of those Midwestern states. It's the closest nice beach. You know, and then the panhandle as opposed to going down to Naples, going over to Jacksonville or St. Augustine or whatever it is. And that's what I think that traditional component of location is always going to make those markets, you know, extremely valuable. So one of the big things I looked at when I went into Western North Carolina was where are the what truly major cities are going to drive to Western North Carolina? And I, th there's a, I think there's a lot of people from Knoxville that live there. It's kind of like living in Vegas. You know, the locals don't go to the, see the shit show on the strip like we do as tourists, right? So I think a lot of Knoxvillians don't want to go to the Smokies and they'll drive up to Johnson City and come over to Western North Carolina. It's different. It's quiet. It's not as touristy. So it kind of goes back to, you know, talking about those traffic drivers. The tra the biggest traffic drivers aren't lakes, aren't isn't Dollywood, aren't amusement parks. It's literally the size of the cities that your marketplace is going to draw on. So yeah. we probably don't do enough of a service because that's really not a sexy thing to talk about. But that's the number one traffic driver. And you have to consider that. Kenny's 100% correct, like with Island Park. I'm telling you, there's no, there's nothing outside of Salt Lake City, you know, to get there close. I'm, I've got good friends that are meeting us in West Yellowstone. It's essentially West Yellowstone and Island Park are the same thing. It's seven hours for them to drive there from Boise. And then why, like, even then, like, Salt Lake, is like, take Salt Lake, for example. Why are you going to go skiing? If you're in Salt Lake City, why would you go skiing in Island Park? Well, there is no place to ski in Island Park. It, I thought there was. Or there's well, like, Island Sky or Jackson. I, I want to, I, I guess I'll have to look that up. I'm pretty sure they have, like, a small resort or something there. Or it's, like. Nobody's fucking going to it, I promise, John. If any of you are from Jackson, you know, like. Yeah, if you're flying into Salt Lake Utah has skiing in itself. So, like. You're like, going to Park City. Like, right. And even Boise, if you think about, okay, well, Boise, I don't, I don't know what the drive is. I would say, like. Three to four hours. I, I don't know like the exact details, but Boise, Boise to oh. Island Park is about a six-hour drive. Okay, six. That's that's a long drive. Holy crap! Must have to go down and up. But boy, even then, why wouldn't you just go into like northern parts of Idaho, which is a lot closer? For because they're not going there to ski; they're going there for the park. They may go there to snowmobile. Exactly. Well, that, that's my point. Is hey, the park shut down during the winter time. What's the other? What's the draw there? You know, in, in terms of Iowa Park, and it's like the winter sports stuff. But who's really going there? And so your your traffic definitely drops. And the people that don't live in that area, the idiots like me that are flying into Bozeman, you know, and driving down. Yeah, you know, that's the and and that's a, a well. Yellowstone is still such a drive-in market, right? Just like you look at almost all of the California uh, national parks are heavily drive-in markets because the population between San Francisco. LA and San Diego is so high, right? Yeah. And that's one of the things you look about Joshua Tree, you know, primary market, Los Angeles, that's the traffic driver, secondary San Diego, secondary Phoenix, secondary Las Vegas. Las Vegas Between yeah. those four municipalities, you're basically the size of New York City, roughly about 12 million people. And that's not, that's only counting Los Angeles at like the four and a half million in the city. Forget about the other 8 million in the base. And now we're pushing 20 million people to be able to get to Joshua Tree. Another market that 
I mean, people should keep their eyes on it. It's going to be growing. It's emerging. And I think it's solid. Texas Hill Country, you know, it's kind of pricey in some parts, but you can find some deals. You've got a lot of big cities in those areas growing that are within driving distance. And so, I mean, I've just kind of seen the the growth of those markets and the the just nearby populations and really what what you can do and you can get pretty creative in those markets. And so that that's another area, you know, I, I we've kind of been hitting like West Coast, East Coast and Southeast. But, you know, looking at the central part of the United States, that's another area that, that kind of fits the criteria we're talking about. I mean, a lot of that stuff in Fredericksburg and, you know, Dripping Springs, it's in between Austin and San Antonio. It's accessible from it's really accessible from Austin. It's even accessible you know, it's not that much farther from San Antonio. So you look at that population and Austin's one of the fastest growing, you know, cities in the country. I think that place is going to be right for some serious regulation because it's the wild, wild west out there right now. I don't know what your opinion is on that. Um, It it depends on the the municipality. Some already have some strict rules in place like New Braunfels, but yeah. And, and Fredericksburg, it's like zoning stuff, but yeah, some of the other, the outlying areas have nothing. So. I mean, if you're in the counties and not in like governed by a city municipality, you know, like where Denise is and, you know, stuff yeah. like that, that's, that's a little bit different, but I agree with you. I think that's a, a great market. It's funny that that's an emerging market in our space because the Texas Hill country, you know, Michael Dell went there so long ago. I mean, I played junior golf out there and I'm 50, you know, in the Hill country, the Hills of Lakeway and that type of stuff out in that area. That's a long time ago. Uh, it is a very long time ago, but really the SDR, I think the boom, the gold rush is really what put the spotlight on that area. You know what I mean? And yeah. I, I agree with you. And I think it'll sustain because of the, those traffic drivers in those two major cities that are there. And then you got Lake Travis, you know, LBJ, the huge, ginormous lakes that are there. And that's something that I want to talk about real quick as we talk about these different types of places. What are your thoughts on lake properties? I mean, I've had a lot of people recently ask me about like Smith Lake just because I'm there and I've tried to scare them away from it. And I think the other thing is we talk about proximity. I'm a believer that in about 85% of lakes, it is a one of the worst investments to make to not be lakefront. And that's that's 85%. I'm not saying all of them. And I'm just going to give an example. Flathead Lake, which is the largest lake west of the Mississippi, that just happens to be in Montana, just south of Whitefish, uh, where I'm going. That is a place that has very few lakefront homes. Uh, But if you're going to invest into like a Smith Lake where I'm at, or, you know, Lake Travis, not being on the lake is probably going to cut your revenue by at least 50%, maybe 60%. Uh, So you just need to be really careful once again of that proximity and understand, as Kenny says a lot, it depends. Every market, every lake is going to be different. Yeah. And and I'm going to let you answer, Kenny, I am anti-lake investing moving forward, and I'm interested to get your thoughts on that. Uh, Yeah. I mean, it's just so expensive. Like everybody knows about vacation rentals now, short-term rentals, you know, and everyone selling lakefront properties is going to price that accordingly. And so I really haven't seen too many lakefront properties pencil out when you, when you're running the, looking at the deals, it just, it, it just doesn't work because um, they're just priced so high and therefore like, it's just not worth investing in that market altogether. Um, I will say though, if the lake is the main traffic driver, then yes, you have to be on the lake, nothing around that. However, 
I'm in Watkins Glen, New York. The lake is one of the three major traffic drivers there. And, or I could argue four, but we'll say three. If you say one, I'm going to vomit and walk out the door. That's why I didn't say four. (laughs) I have a goal that one day I'm going to switch labels and have you try New York wine without you knowing and see what you say. See see if you catch it. So one day. Don't stand in front of me because if I spit it out, I don't want to ruin your clothes. There you go. Yeah. So one of the traffic drivers there, you've got NASCAR, you've got the lake. And the, the, the what park? The state park. State park. And like the million okay. people that go through it. So anyways, we have three major traffic drivers there. And in fact, I was actually uh, an organization that houses pit crews reached out to me this past weekend. Wants to use my property this summer. So like pretty much every weekend. Remember <laughs> awesome. when we talked about that stuff yeah. before you bought yeah. that thing? I love yeah. it. And, and they uh, they were like, "What do you charge per nine? And I was like, "Yeah, it depends." You know, I use dynamic pricing, and it's between you know eleven hundred to, to fifteen hundred a night. You know, this is a th- three hundred fifty thousand dollars home for those listening. And they're like, "Okay," just <laughs> I'm like, "All right." Like so, anyway. Here, we'll t- we'll we'll pay the fifteen hundred. Let me just secure it now. I told them I said every bedroom has its own uh, bathroom, and they were like sold. <laughs> so uh, anyway, what but. My but here's what happens, Kenny, not to get off track. As soon as you get one of them, then the pit crew guys are going to be telling their buddies and then you're yeah. going to have others that are going to want. That's the way that it works. Right. I agree. No, so I'm super excited that that was good news. But uh, going back to this, my property is not lakefront. And going back to what you mentioned, lakefront properties in Watkins Glen make probably about 50% more, or sorry, not 50% more, double so 100% more than what I make gross revenue. But what what's the cost? Triple. Four times? times? It's triple. Yep. It's 900 to a million thousand to a million dollars. It would be the equivalent cost mm-hmm. of what my property would be on the lake. First, I paid 350. 300 to 350 is is what you get off lake for a decent property. So, yeah, the returns are still are. However, I will mention this, there were other traffic drivers there. I even if that was the case for last year, I still wouldn't take the deal unless there were other traffic drivers. Because well, forecasting and looking to 2023 20, and seeing the dip, I know that hey, I can't just be off the lake and expect a good revenue. I've got to compete in other ways. Go ahead, so, say it. you can say the fourth one. Go ahead. The wine. <laughs> hey, I see, you know, I it uh October through November was purely people traveling there for wine tours. I mean, there's no, there's so no, I mean, wine tours doing? are a huge deal in Fredericksburg, just yeah. outside of Boston. Their wine sucks too. And the only decent wine is but who the hell is growing grapes there? The majority of the wineries are growing grapes someplace else and they're bottling someplace else. And they they're are they're growing grapes in New York. I know they are. The good stuff is coming from California. Is what I'm saying. I mean, so, sure. but look, there's a lot of great. We have wineries here. Kicks Brooks from Brooks and Dunn. He's got a great winery. It's called Arrington. They do a lot of events down there. There's a huge golf course there. He has one good wine, and it's he grows grapes here. But the good wine, Red Fox Red, is grown in Napa or Sonoma Valley in California. So look, I I agree. And like we talked about with that little winery that we were talking about a couple of weeks ago, the attraction is the winery. You don't even have to make wine there. Right. Mm-hmm. And if the wine sucks, people still want to go to wineries for whatever reason. Yeah. And they come from cities. I there's there's three major metropolitan areas 
that are within three to four hours. All, or, I guess like really, it's really like two to two. New York City, what else? New York City, Rochester, Buffalo. So, and all, all the I mean, if you, yeah, all the cities have millions of people. Right. Love it. Awesome. So where, where, where should I invest in 2023? <laughs> Basically, the moral of the story is not what this started out to be. You need to find pockets of where you're inside of major Walk cities with yeah. all of that traffic. And if you look at every right. major market, it is because of that. That's why they thrive. Traditional markets. And we, we've defined that throughout the podcast. It doesn't just mean a beach market or near a national park. They're, the definition is a little broader than what we kind of know and what we talk about. But it, it has those traffic drivers nearby, those major cities within driving distance nearby, not eight-hour drives, but we're talking three to five, five to limit. Um, that those are the kind of attributes or the characteristics of the type of markets that I'm personally interested in in 2023. I agree wholeheartedly. Awesome. There you have it, folks. Well, I know exactly where to invest in 2023. Thanks, Kenny. Kenny gets there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Thank you for another great episode, Kenny. Thank you guys for uh, joining us. We really appreciate you. Uh, if you're listening to this podcast on, you know, Apple, Spotify, uh, Amazon, wherever, and you think we're doing a good job please just take 10 seconds. It would mean the world to both Kenny and I and, and drop in a review or at least give us you know, a five star. That way more people can see this and you can help us spread the gospel. We yeah. really appreciate you being here. We'll see you on the next episode. Thank you for listening to STRonomics. Stay ahead of the curve and subscribe today. This podcast is a hospitality.fm production.